thirsty? You've come to the right place to wet your whistle. It's the Liquid Lifestyle with Ryan McGarrian, a full hour of liquid refreshment. Now, here's Ryan. And a very happy Saturday to you, my thirsty listeners. It is time for another round of the Liquid Lifestyle, and you're uh, listening to uh, us here on the uh, Radio Northwest Network. And uh, as always, I am Ryan McGarrian, your host and on-air bartender. And uh, I'm not sure if uh, any of you know, I think some of you probably know, but it is Cocktail Week uh, here in Portland. Actually, we're just wrapping up Cocktail Week. Uh, You know, and as as a lot of you listeners already know, there's been this evolution or revolution with regards to, you know, kind of uh, the craft of mixing drinks uh, throughout uh, around the world over the past 15 years. And uh, and with uh, that evolution, there's been a lot of center points, uh, places where people can get together and learn and hang out and, and unwind and share information. And they usually come in the form uh, with, with different weeks uh, being held around the world. Uh, you, we've talked about Tales of the Cocktail, but one of the fastest growing, most respected, I think most well-run and best attended has become the one in our fair Berg. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But, uh, you know, one of the great things about you know, having a cocktail week and having so many amazing bartenders and industry professionals uh, join us here in Portland is that I get to catch up with some old friends, and uh, today is no different. And we're uh, we're hanging out with my man Jordan Bushnell, uh, who is uh, a native to Canada. He is the uh, the national, the American brand ambassador, national brand ambassador for um, uh, for Hennessy, uh, and uh, he also owns a fabulous bar in Toronto. Uh, I think I got that pronunciation right, called Rush Lane. So, Jordan, what's cracking, my man? Um, loving it. Love being in Portland. Portland uh, Portland seems like a city that, that Canada could just envelop seamlessly, that it, it just works perfectly with, uh, with our mentality as well. Very relaxed and, uh, of course, great culinary and cocktail scene, so it's always a pleasure coming back here. Dude, dude, I know how you do that. Whenever we com- uh, communicate... I can always feel your passion, you know, building up like, oh, I'm coming to Portland, dude. And, and I know it's not, you're not stoked just to come see me, man. I know that you're, you're stoked to see the, uh, to be in this fine city. What are some of the, you, you know, we had this conversation before we started today about how you found Portland be quite similar to Canada, maybe similar to Toronto. What are some of the similarities you, that, that try to stand out to you? Um, I think it's, it's kind of an underlying um, way of working, way of living. People are just... It seems to be very connected to nature, and uh, I think that's a very Canadian thing as well because we have so much of it. We don't have many people, so we have a, a lot more land. It's a big old swatch of land you guys <laughs> yeah. got up there. Yeah. Not too many of you folks. Yeah, we, we took the frozen bit when we divided sides. Yes, you uh, did. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's warming up. But uh, the, the, way of, the way of living, there's just general relaxation here. You know, you could have a busy day, but you're, you're walking around downtown Portland and you just still feel relaxed. I know. Isn't that the best, man? So one of the things, I'm, so the, you know, there's several things we're going to talk about today. But, you know, um, you know, we have a lot of travelers here in Portland. A lot of people like to get out and experience the rest of the world. And, uh, you know, I, I'd love to just talk about Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where you reside, where you spend the majority of your time, where you've had a huge impact on, on their specific uh, beverage culture. Uh, tell me about, can you just tell us a little bit about like your perspective on, on what the food and beverage scene is like in Toronto right now? Um, yeah, Toronto is, is a really great city for the culinary world and, and for the beverage world. We're getting better and better all the time. Um, certainly we had a recession like everybody else, but uh, our banks were very conservative, so we didn't have as big a hit, it seems, that, that so many other uh, countries face. And so with that, it just 
exploded exponentially quicker. Um, we had a lot of people coming back, a lot of professionals coming back, people of the world, people that love to travel, people that had been traveling, coming back and bringing what they knew and loved uh, back to Toronto. Uh, the, the chef scene there uh, blew up. We have a lot of celebrity chefs. We have you know, the Food Network and all our own guys up there, um, separate from you know, the Bobby Flays and the Mario Batalis of the world. And uh, they started it off and it kind of, I think like everywhere, if you have great food, why are you just having a rum and coke with dinner? You know, you want you want a great cocktail, and so that scene has kind of moved up. And we've got a lot of governmental control with uh, with our alcohol scene, meaning the alcohol is quite expensive. Um, so people were already willing or knew they were going to be paying a premium for alcohol, regardless. So why not put it in in a great cocktail form? And we've seen a great transition from that, and a lot of great restaurants open with cocktail bars that later then just became. Uh, cocktail bars in their own right with a smaller food aspect. So right now is a, is a good time to be in Toronto. There's more and more bartender owned and operated bars, which of course means uh, the sky's the limit for creativity. You're never going to have somebody tapping you on the shoulder and saying, no, you, you know, let's not go that crazy. It's more, no, let's, let's go as crazy as we want now. Once again, you are listening to The Liquid Lifestyle here on the Radio Northwest Network, having a conversation with the very eloquent Canadian Jordan Bushnell. And, you know, going back to Toronto, man, uh, tell me about the evolution of the craft cocktail, specifically the craft cocktail bar scene there. Every city kind of has its story. You know, here in Portland, we've spent several episodes talking about how, you know, you know, really here it started 20, 25 years ago with the... Bruce Carey and his restaurants and Lucy Brennan and then, you know, Teardrop's arrival and, and how that changed uh, the, the, the landscape here and obviously having fellows like Jeffrey Morgenthaler and so many other bartenders, you know, develop cultures around town. It was, is there kind of a story you can tell about the Toronto cocktail scene? Um, yeah, I, I think it kind of, there, there was a lot of people just coming up and doing their own. I remember, I mean, competing in cocktail competitions 10 years ago and it was the same eight people. You know, you'd walk into the room and you'd be like, oh, hey, hey, guys, uh, what are you doing this time? What are you doing differently? So I was um, certainly there, but I think the first real cocktail bars that, that opened and really drove people's drinking tastes were twofold. We had um, a man named Frankie Solerik who opened Bar Chef. And it was, they had food and they still have food, but they... It was really changing the, the game and changing what people went out for because it was here was this this guy doing crazy molecular cocktails, doing the you know the alginates, doing the foams and the airs and the and smoking things, and you know he had a fifty dollar smoked Manhattan on his menu that you know took fifteen minutes to, to orchestrate, but wow, what a presentation! People got into that. People saw that. People. You know, the, before Instagram. So people just saw it on Facebook coming up. People saw their friends take photos of this stuff. People went out and said, I don't know, $20 on a cocktail, should, should I do this? And then they got it and they got that, that insane value. You know, it's like you could go eat food at, a, at any fast food joint, but then you go to a you know, Michelin star restaurant or a well-curated restaurant and you, you pay a little bit more, but look at what you get. And that kind of changed then. It was no longer oh, rum and coke, oh, vodka soda, I'm going to pay this amount for that. Now the drinking culture changed to going, okay, what, what will I expect? And really catching up with other cities. Um, the other one would have been the Black Hoof with Jen Ag, who really started saying like, oh, you know, 
an Ophile restaurant where they're using all parts of the pig. People got excited about that, got excited about the culinary scene. And then she was saying, hey, you should be trying different whiskeys. You should be trying different cocktails. Like, here's a proper old fashioned. Here's a proper Manhattan. And really, uh, both very opinionated people uh, that started to shape and get their own following. And people started then, when you're getting a great cocktail at one bar, people start demanding it of other bars. And so it's either, you know, put on, you know, strap on your boots or get left behind. That's really cool, man. I, I love how well you articulate the story of your scene. It's always been super important to me as well as to, to know the truth behind how things evolve. And for me, even just getting people excited about being in the craft and being a part of the story of the craft, I think it's so important to be able to articulate it the way you have uh, the kind of backstory. Uh, what so behind? So you have uh, you have the black hoof and you have bar chef. Uh, I'm sure that kind of trickled into so many more. What's what are the what are the really exciting, you know, uh, cocktail bars in Toronto right now? Just up. Well, what are the new ones? I don't want to want to put you in a position where you have you can't don't yeah. have to recognize there's, everybody. But, I mean, uh, there's there's. It seems like with my travels with Hennessy, every time I go back, there's there's a new bar opening up and a new bar that's that's run by a bartender. Uh, I know uh, Gaslight in um, in downtown Toronto just uh, just had their one year anniversary, so they're they're not too old. Um, my bar Rush Lane is uh, about a year and a half now, and uh, but just recently we've seen the opening. I think it was probably six months ago. Uh, Bar Raval with um, some good friends there. They're doing amazing culinary scene. The bar is is tiny but gorgeous inside. Dude, it's so much fun chatting Toronto with you, man. Once again, we're with Jordan Bushnell on the uh, Liquid Lifestyle on the Radio Northwest Network. Uh, we're jumping out real quick back at you in just a few. And welcome back to the Liquid Lifestyle here on the Radio Northwest Network. It is a another crisp autumn afternoon here in P-Town, the city of roses, hops, and his, hipsters. And we are chatting with Jordan Bushnell, one of Toronto, one of Canada's top bartenders, also the proprietor of Rush Lane in Toronto, and uh, the uh, American uh, brand ambassador for Hennessy uh, Cognac. And uh, we're going to talk some Cognac and Hennessy in a bit. But man, we got you know a bartender achieving and realizing their dream to be a partner owner in a bar is a big freaking deal as any industry professional will tell you and Jordan you had the opportunity to do that so tell us about your baby man tell us about Rush Lane over in uh, uh, tell us about Rush Lane well Rush Lane came about um, for for what we talked about uh, a second ago which was having more bartenders owning their own bar means nobody tells you no we like to joke that the only two people that can tell us no are the customers and the bank um, at, at this point, neither one has said, said no, and so we get to go kind of as crazy as we want, and it was, it's really that. It was working in bars and saying, well, what would I do differently if, if I own this spot? And certainly a bar is not necessarily, I mean, I think anyone that owns a bar says it's not necessarily the most sound financial decision I've ever made, <laughs> but, uh, but it's that labor of love. It's, it's, we've worked, I've built so many bars for other people, and it was... You know, I put my heart and soul into them, and then when they start changing and they they modify and they make decisions that you don't necessarily think are correct, but you know, they're it's it's their baby. Um, you go with it, and so 
being able to make those decisions um, with a group of friends that we all got together and, and put up the money ourselves for it. And nobody was there to, uh, as a money backer, everybody was there as a bartender. And so getting that uh, all in one room and being able to create something together was, was really the goal and being able to do something different. And the culinary and, and bar scene in Toronto is, is exploding and we wanted to be a part of that and show them, show them something different, show them what we could do. Uh, that's so cool, man. And you know, you and I have shared a very similar path. You know, we've uh, we've done extensive consulting work, we've done extensive brand work, uh, and now you know we both uh, have uh, the blessing of having uh, have cocktail having cocktail bars. And I will tell you, I'm right there with you. One of the things I struggled with early on is just you know, consulting's fantastic, it pays quite well, depending on how well you negotiate and how good your product <laughs> is. But so the fact is, it, when you care as much as we do, right? It's so hard to when you put your heart and soul into a culture that you're creating for somebody and to walk away from it, and that's our job. Our job is, I think sometimes we forget, or I know I can get so caught up in the art that our job is to, to create a successful business for mm -hmm. somebody by creating a bar culture that is relevant, aligned with the demographic, you know, and, and is gonna work for them. And, uh, but man, I always, gosh, after year after year of that, it got so hard, so you just have to, I feel like it, a lot of us, we just kinda have to have our bar, you know what I'm saying? And, and for me, have you felt like it's just been like a, a great centerpiece to the brand that is Jordan Bushnell with regards to all the things to do? Is that a great center point so somebody can come into Rush Lane and like really experience under your control the product that you want to put out? Do you feel like that's been a, an awesome part of it? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's several partners at Rush Lane. We've got five and the, the coming together of all of us, it's showing off each of our different personalities and bringing together a product that was that was different and, and unique and putting your own little touches on places um, and really having a, a sound voice. Cause we like to say um, it's not, it's not one of us, you know, if you come in and you're coming in to see me, then that's, that's a failure I think of the bar. And uh, I, if you come in to see the team, it's, you know, it's always the problem with, um, with great bars. Is it a great bar because of that, that one or two bartenders? Or is it a great bar because everybody can make that same cocktail? And I know that's something we struggle with from the consulting side, from the bar management side, from everything. It's if you come in on a Monday afternoon, you better be able to get that same cocktail on a Saturday evening when you've got your A team on, um, or in reverse when they're when they're backs to the wall and they're in the weeds. They better be able to make that same quality cocktail they did on a Monday afternoon when they had all the time in the world and all the care. And so. Coming in and, and creating a team environment has been the most rewarding thing and getting a team where you, know, you may bring the cocktail to the table, but everyone is going to um, pick it apart and put it back together to be greater than the sum of, of its original uh, creation. Dude knows his stuff. Once again, we're talking to Jordan Bushnell, fantastic bartender, bar owner, uh, and brand ambassador for Hennessy VS Cognac, who's in town for Portland Cocktail Week. And uh, dude, I couldn't agree with you more, man. The consistency is so critical to the business model. Uh, so what I'd love, just paint, can you paint a picture of Russell Lane for us? You know, we're sitting here, look, I mean, just, I talk about ESP on almost every episode, the, the components of environment, service, and product. Let's start with the E. What's, tell, tell me about the feel, the vibe, the music, the light, the aesthetic of Rush Lane. We, um we jumped on a venue and uh, a spot that was, it's long and thin, um, big garage door in the front. We, the, the name Rush Lane kind of starts it all off because we back onto an alley that's actually called Rush Lane, but not many people know that. In Toronto, it's kind of referred to as Graffiti Alley because there's 
lots of great, the whole alley for five, six blocks is all graffiti. Beautiful, huge pieces, uh, murals, constantly changing stuff. Um, and once uh, our designer told us that, we couldn't get the name Rush Lane out of our heads. So we called it Rush Lane, and so we wanted that idea of, of energy, that rush is the energy behind it. And Lane kind of reminds you of, uh, you know, Penny Lane, or it's a, like a Beatles album. It seems very relaxed, and so it's kind of the counterpoint of both, that yin and yang, where you could come in and just enjoy yourself, but then later in the evening it's going get, to get a little bit more energized. So to go with that, um, we've seen a whole lot of, you know, brick and beam, old school looks uh, in Toronto, and we we kind of went a different direction. We were going uh, kind of 70s retro um, chic, and uh, it was funny because my dad was helping us doing some renovations, and uh, I looked at him at one point when it was kind of all coming together, the wall, the paint had gone up, some of the furniture was coming in. I said, Dad, does this remind you of your bachelor pad in the 70s? And he said, not at all. <laughs> and we realized that it's a 70s chic as only five guys that didn't grow up in the 70s could have created. Uh, so some elegant touches, a lot of wood, um, but really sharp lines and, uh, and some bright colors. We've got a vinyl record wall. And of course, nothing could be more 70s than a giant 150-gallon fish tank. Dude, wow, that's yeah. awesome. So it sounds like it has a real whimsical quality to it. Yeah, certainly, and we try to not take ourselves too seriously as well. You know, putting, putting a cosmopolitan on draft and, and playing with fun aspects in that way and, and really presenting cocktails and ourselves and our food in, in a little bit more fun, whimsical light is, is probably a great word for it where people can enjoy themselves. Jordan, we got to jump out real quick. Uh, dude, this is just a blast chat with you, man. Once again, you're listening to uh, Ryan McGarrian with Jordan Bushnell here on the Liquid Lifestyle. And welcome back to the Liquid Lifestyle here on the Radio Northwest Network. Hope you're enjoying a very peaceful and refreshing Saturday afternoon. Once again, we are uh, stoked to have Jordan Bushnell, the, uh, the American brand ambassador for Hennessy Cognac, the owner of Rush Lane in Toronto, which we've been chatting about for the last 15 minutes, and just a fantastic gentleman. Super articulate, as I sure you can tell, just uh, just being listening to this interview. And uh, Jordan, going back to uh, Rush Lane, your bar. We talked about the vibe. Uh, let's talk about the product itself. Uh, let's talk about the cocktail program or your cocktail cocktail culture, as I like to call it. Uh, what was was there kind of a concept behind your cocktail menu or where you wanted to go with your cocktails over at Rush Lane? I think the the underlying theme at the beginning was um, a bar made by bartenders with. Um, the ability to create cocktails um, not held in or reined in by convention. So taking convention out of it and, and just opening it up and saying like nothing is off limits. Uh, and the other, the other major theme is, is nothing is perfect. I, uh, I read an interview with uh, Richard Branson in which he said, I never give anything 10 out of 10 because then nobody will, people will just leave it and say, oh, that's great. He only gives it 9 out of 10, and I kind of adopted that and said that's, that's a perfect way of thinking about it because I may make a great cocktail and then somebody's you know, fiddling around one day and makes it even better. 
But even then, it's, not, it's still not a 10. It might be a 9.5 now. And so we're constantly improving. So we brought in uh, the crazy lab equipment. I mean, Tony Canigliero is, a, is an idol of mine. I think the man is a, is a creative genius. And uh, so we brought in the rotovapors. We brought in the, you know, the, the centrifuges. We brought in uh, things like that to, to play with. And really, we like to say that's really scary stuff when you look at it. But it all does very simple things. And it, it came down to consistency as well and taking a Brix meter and knowing that you know, all of our syrups are consistent and uh, a pH balance uh, test for all of our uh, juices and all of our citrus to know that you know, lime juice in winter, we like to say fresh is best, but in Canada, you know, we don't grow limes. So we're going to get them from... Last year, check. Yeah, right? we're going to get them from farther afield come the cold season. Um, and uh, we want to make sure it's always consistent so that the, the only error can be human error and that uh, everything else is consistent there. And then the cocktails, um, the presentation of them are, you know, takes on classics. We're going to have classics on the menu, things that our bartenders love, what we're drinking now. Uh, but then along with that, some, some new takes, some new flavors, um, some different things. And it's really the, the brainstorm, the brain trust of Rush Lane to come together and, and create cocktails together and be honest with each other. You know, so many people will try a cocktail and say, this is amazing, but maybe they don't think it's amazing. And we, we try to be very honest and say, yeah, what do you think about it? What would you change? Okay, let's try it again. You know, oh, you've made it with this ride? Let's make it with another ride. Oh, you've made it, uh, you know, with NSCVS? Let's make it with VSOP. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, that's so cool, man. Dude, it's just, you've got so many layers to your professional experience which makes me want to go ahead and pull a different lever uh, and shift over to your uh, responsibility as the American brand ambassador for Hennessy uh, Cognac. And, uh, you know, before we go into your role with them, you know, I, why don't we just, can you just give our listeners uh, a recap on what is Cognac? Can you just, can you just give us a reset there, man. Yeah, Cognac is, I mean, we could talk about this for, for hours and hours on what Cognac is, but Cognac is um, a grape-based spirit from the cognac region of France. So all cognac is brandy, but not all brandy is cognac. Um, cognac got known for its quality and consistency over time, and then it kind of got its own, you know, people started asking for the, the brandy from cognac, the eau de vie from cognac, and uh, it started oui. to develop its own rules in which uh, it, it required to be cognac. So we start with grapes, uh, white grapes, if, if you only, there's a, there's a number of varietals, but the main one making up almost 98% of cognac is Uni Blanc, uh, which is better known as Trebbiano in Italian grape circles. Uh, but the Italians and the French don't really agree on much. So uh, Uni Blanc in France, we take that uh, around this time of year, October, we're harvesting it. We're turning it into a light, bright white wine. Um, there's a lot of mineral content to it. There's a lot of um, you know, chalk and limestone in the soil in cognac, so it produces its light, bright wine, very high in acidity. We want that acidity. Uh, the wine is between 5 and 9% alcohol. We start distillation come November 1st. Uh, we're double copper pot distilling it, and um, when it comes out, it comes out as what is called eau de vie, water of life. So that water of life uh, is then put in French oak barrels for a minimum of two years. Uh, at the two-year mark, you can take it out and blend it with another eau de vie, and then it becomes cognac. So cognac is always a blend, um, and that's for quality and consistency, because when you start with, you know, whiskey is grain, grain is grain is grain, you get that same varietal of grain every year, it's gonna taste the same. 
Um, whereas grape, uh, I mean, we know from wine, it's got so many uh, variables year to year. That same vine is going to produce a slightly different taste based on uh, the terroir, based on the weather that, that year. And uh, so when we start with that variable, everything we try to do is about reining in those variables, and it's all about selection. So at Hennessy, they pride themselves on their large um, stock of eau de vie. At any one time, we have between 350 and 400,000 barrels that we choose from, and our tasting committee gets together every day between 10 and 1 in the afternoon to taste all the eau de vie, um, to make sure it's quality enough to represent Hennessy when it's first being produced, and then later um, to see how it's aging, because it's going to change every year. So we wait until it's perfect, and then we blend it. So something like the VS, uh, our, our youngest uh, varietal, is, is up to 40 different eau de vie all put in one bottle. So that's where we get the consistency from within cognac, and cognac ranges in age uh, going up into the hundreds of years. Right. Dude, that just uh, was leading me towards that next question that I had for you was, I mean, you have quite a, there's quite a range with Hennessy, right, as far as your expressions. Uh, just give me a quick uh, recap of the, of the range of expressions you guys have going on right now. Well, yeah, we have a number of, of different varietals that are maybe one-offs that, that come out as limited editions. Um, but our, our standards start with a VS, very special. Um, then we go on to Hennessy Black, which Hennessy Black is a, is a totally kind of different uh, cognac. It's, it's light, bright. It's really like that concentrated uh, white wine that, uh, that Cognac Starts has, uh, though it is aged for the same amount of time as VS. Then we go to VSOP, which is very superior old pale. Um, then we have an XO. Beyond that, um, those are kind of varietals. The you know VS, VSOP, and XO are kind of what uh, what all cognac companies have uh, as different age statements. And real and, quick, just uh, VS, VSOP, and XO for our listener guidelines behind those from an aging perspective. Minimum requirement to be a VS is two years. Um, although many producers take them up much uh, greater in age beyond that, again, for that variety and the quality and consistency. Um, ours goes up to eight years old. Then VSOP, minimum age to be a VSOP is four years old. Um, we take ours up to 15 years old. Uh, XO right now, the minimum age is six years, though as of April 1st, 2016, that minimum age is going to jump to 10 years old. This has been in the works for years. Um, Ours starts at 12 and goes to 30 years old. And then beyond that, uh, beyond XO, for us, we have some different marks called Paradis, Paradis Imperial, and then Richard. Those are, and those are the big bombers, man. Those things are, well, it's all delicious, man. I mean, you know that I've been a fan of what you guys have done for a long time. I've been fortunate enough to go out and spend time at the, at the Hennessy Distillery back at the Cognac Summit that I attended a while back. But uh, what, what's your go-to in the range? What does Jordan drink when he's just, you know, I mean, I'm sure you don't drink call, uh, Cognac all day, every day. <laughs> you wouldn't look the way you do if you did, probably. Or for, uh, Anyway, so is there one in the range that's kind of your go-to? Um, Just as a sipper on the I, rocks. I think that my one, my grandmother gave me a, a crystal decanter that, uh, that she's had for a very long time, and you know, she had no use for it anymore. She wanted me to, uh, to enjoy it, and at all times, it has Hennessy VSOP in it. Okay. Because I think that's the one that, that fits every occasion. Because there are drinks for different occasions, there are cognacs for different occasions, and it's about finding the one that's right for the occasion, right for the moment. But VSOP, I think, fits into uh, most of my moments. Okay. It's, uh, it's great for mixing, but then also, as you said, great for, great for sipping on its own. Yeah, dude. I, uh, man, I, I'm going to have to get back and, and, and hit that VSOP. I haven't hit it for 
quite some time, but uh, you know, as you know, coming into Oven and Shaker and Hamlet, you know, we've relied on the profile from the flavor to the structure to even the tannin, the oak tannin level in Hennessy, I've always found it to be just, it just slides right into mixed drinks. And uh, we've got to jump out. We've got one more segment to go with you, Jordan. Uh, once again, you're listening to Ryan McGarian here with Jordan Bushnell uh, here on uh, the Liquid Lifestyle on the Radio Northwest Network. And we'll be back in a flash. Welcome back to the Liquid Lifestyle here on the Radio Northwest Network. As always, I am your host and on-air bartender, Ryan McGarrian. And today, once again, we're chatting with Jordan Bushnell, the American brand ambassador for Hennessy Cognac, also the proprietor of a fine cocktail bar up in Toronto, Rush Lane. Uh, we've learned all about Rush Lane. We've, we've talked P-Town. We've talked P-Town Cocktail Week. Uh, and we've talked Cognac. Last segment was great. I always love kind of a refresh personally, just uh, sitting here chatting with you, you know, just being reminded of all the details that go into the to a, to a fine Cognac, uh, which leads me to wanting to kind of wrap things up today with a conversation about Cognac's place in mixed drinks. Because the reality is I think 99.9% of Cognac drinkers think of it as something you pour in a bulbous little glass and you don't do anything else with it. But, I, you know, as you and I both know, cognac mixes really, really, really well. So, uh, you know, you want to walk us back and talk about kind of throughout history what, what cognac's place has been in the canon of mixed drinks? Um, yeah, cognac is was the, the world's most uh, mixable spirit. I mean, brandy was a beloved spirit around the world for a long time. I mean when vodka was still in the Eastern Bloc and, you know, hadn't really spread to the rest of the world. And, and vodka certainly is, is now uh, the world's most mixable drink because it just, it's, it's adding that, that alcohol we love so much to, to a drink and, and it's light and so all the flavors kind of work with it. But cognac um, and brandy started that all out as they're all fruit-based and we have so much fruit in our cocktails. You think of even a Manhattan has sweet vermouth and sweet vermouth is based in grapes. And so it's, I look at it as like grapes and grapes. You know, it's going to go well together. Um, so we, we look at cocktails, and, and cognac's kind of gone away, and, and really the education is coming back on it, and bartenders are, are required to know more than they've ever needed to know before behind a bar. But people don't really mix with cognac because they don't know much about it. So my job has been really to, to bring that education in front. And one of the things that always surprises people is when you go back to history and you look at the old cocktails and you look at the mint julep from 1803, started as a cognac cocktail. We, of course, now know it today as a bourbon cocktail. And then you look you know, further along and you get the Brandy Crusta out of uh, New Orleans that, that is a cognac cocktail. It's a, it's a cognac classic. And New Orleans loves their cognac because you go then uh, a few years down the road, you get 1850 and you get the, uh, the Sazerac is invented and named after the brand of cognac used to create it. Now we know it as Sazerac rye. And you know it's a great rye. And you would get a rye-based Sazerac, but the original was a cognac-based Sazerac. Um, you go further along then still, and you get things like uh, the Japanese cocktail in uh, Jerry the Professor Thomas's reprint book Which in 1887. Which we're featuring right now over at uh, Oven and Shaker. Very nice. And the, but the Japanese cocktail has a lot of, they, they believe it to be the first cocktail that had a name that had nothing to do with the ingredients. Really? 
yes, it's attributed to that, and that's a cognac-based cocktail again. Then you go uh, and you get into a time of phylloxera, and phylloxera was devastating in cognac. It was a little bug that came over from North America, you know, traveled over. Always our fault, huh, Jordan? Always our fault. Well, it was kind of the Europeans that did it to themselves. They said, okay, little brother North America, you're doing great things with these grapes. Uh, Let's see what they can do in the golden hallowed fields of France and Europe. Didn't know this bug hitched a ride on the rootstock, brought it over. Um, It laid waste uh, to the cognac region and to most of the the grape regions of, of Europe. In fact, at one point, uh, before Phylloxera, we had 282,667 hectares of land. That's almost three acres per hectare in cognac devoted to grapes alone. After Phylloxera, within 20 years, we had dropped down to 46,000. So we dropped five-sixths of our production method in 20 years. And you know, grade nine economics comes in, supply and demand. Your demand is very high, your supply goes down low, and it jumps up in price. Cognac becomes uh, unattainable for most people. And, you know, outside of Vegas, nobody wants $50 cocktails. Uh, You have to go to other spirits. So it gets replaced by things that were familiar but different. It gets replaced, you know, Sazerac uh, or rye takes over the Sazerac. You know, bourbon takes over the the mint julep. You know, the, the brandy punch, which is the first cocktail in the world's first cocktail book, gets replaced and becomes rum punch. And all of these other cocktails get taken. But now we're starting to come back. We're starting to see bartenders reach for it more. And you know, after Phylloxera and, and when Prohibition happened, we saw these great American bartenders spread their wings and go, go off to the world to bring cocktails out. And we saw the invention of the sidecar, probably the most quintessential, most well-known of cognac cocktails. We see things like Between the Sheets come out. Another favorite of mine that I just, I, I keep trying to, uh, I think I'm on a personal mission to bring Between the Sheets back. Is it's, it's probably the most interesting named of all the old school cocktails. Dude, I'm going to have to get behind you on that, man. I uh, Walk us through a bit. What's in a, what's in a Between the Sheets for our guests? Well, a Between the Sheets is essentially a sidecar, and, and rumor has it, um, a sidecar elevated with rum. So rumor has it there was a regular at Harry's Bar in uh, Paris and said, you know, he always drank sidecars, and he asked the bartender, Harry, at the time, can I... Uh, can I get a sidecar, but something different? Dude, this is blown by. We're actually coming to the end of this, my man. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and passion, for how articulate you are, and for what you contribute to the industry, man. It's so good having you here in Port, uh, P-Town all the time. Once again, you've been listening to Ryan McGarry and Jordan Bushnell here on The Liquid Lifestyle on the Radio Northwest Network. And as always, I'm signing out, reminding you to always drink your best. Oh.